Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church online service. We are so happy to have you with us. Please be sure to follow NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to all our past messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. I wanna continue our series on the Holy Spirit. And today, I simply want to take a little bit more of the passage in 1 Corinthians, just, just so that we get a little background here. Um, and give me just a second, because I just got to hit the button, and then all of a sudden, I got the power. I got the power! No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't got it. If you could put up the first slide, that would... It, oh, you know what? The one in the back isn't doing it. All right. Um, The one in the back. Everyone turn around. Look at the back side. Am I out of my mind there? Does that look like it's on? No. Is that necessary for it to have it? Absolutely not. Am I throwing a temper tantrum right now? No. I'm just stating the facts. All right. So we talked a couple of weeks ago, and I'll be doing this through the times that I speak here this summer. We have so many gifted speakers. Thank you, Sean Cooper, for that blast of testosterone last week. And uh, we have so many gifted speakers, and we are developing so many gifted speakers. And uh, my long-term goal is to have Abby Provost share up here one Sunday morning. And I think that she has a gift, and we, we want to see that happen. We have Matt sharing this summer. We, we uh, had Sienna totally outpreach all the pastors. I hate you. Um, <laughs> And you still hold the record for the mechanical bull, by the way. One minute and 26 seconds. No one has beaten your record on the mechanical bull. I hate you. Um, I know I'm a Christian. I can't hate anyone. But it's just, you know, I just, I can't help it. I just, uh. When uh, I was, we, we talked about the gifts in Paul. Now, listen, we believe that God's word, the Bible, is his word for us. It's not just any book, it's breathed by God, it's living, it's active, it's our standard for life and faith, for practicing our faith, for living our life, which means that very often the carnal side of my life is gonna want something, and then when I'm reading God's word, God's spiritual word may contradict it, and if I have that contradiction, it's not God that needs to change, it's me. That's what, when, when you follow Christ, he leads us very practically through his word. Any, you don't need a word from God. Any word that you would ever need from God is found in the Bible. If you would open it and read it, and Sienna, thank you very much. I keep quoting this, but, and if you read it four times a, a week or more, your life is radically transformed with comfort, hope, peace, possibility, and it is so important to be in God's word. He went through the miraculous gifts, uh, or we went, and Paul says, hey, listen, there's words of wisdom, there's words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and he, and he literally, he, he says it like this, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Eagerly desires. I, I need to illustrate this. I have a $50 bill. If anyone desires this bill and is the first person to take it out of my hand, it's yours. 
All right. <laughs> no, 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 no. To the victor go the spoils. You're not allowed to give that to her. No, 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 no. To the victor go the spoils. Did she eagerly desire the $50? Yes. That's what that word means. It's like that you would be like, yes! And Paul says, listen, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And, and these are great gifts, and they're, they're far greater than 50 bucks, because once that money's gone, it's gone. But when you have a relationship with God, and you're allowing God's Spirit to work through you and partner with you, the Holy Spirit doesn't possess you. You partner with God, which means that you need to grow in it, and you need to learn from it, and you need to be sensitive with it, and you're going to make mistakes with it, and you're going to get better at it. But God says through the Apostle Paul, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The Father is on the throne. They are in heaven. He's coming back to claim everything. But until then, he has left us the Holy Spirit and along with him, gifts that he asks us to eagerly desire. Now, some gifts tend to be a little bit weird. Speaking of weird, by the way, I love ZZ Top. But this reminds me of my friend, Brendan Bridges. He's actually from Zimbabwe. And um, he's got kind of like a blend of a Dutch uh, Afrikaans slash British accent. And he goes, pool. He goes, he comes back one time, they did prison ministry, and he comes back and he's sharing with me. He goes, pool. He goes, I couldn't believe it, man. I'm like, what? He goes, I went into the psych ward of the hospital. And, and, and he didn't say the hospital, they say hospital. He said, I went to the psych ward of hospital. And I go, in prison? Yeah, you mean like the people that were thrown in prison, but then they had to throw them into an intense section of the prison. He goes, yeah, man. He goes, I had this guy come up to me, and he looked like that guy from the band. Um, uh, what's the band with the long beards? I go, ZZ Top? He goes, yeah. He comes up to me, and he goes, I speak in tongues. Hikama shikama. Bye. And he just walks away, and he just starts laughing. And I say that just simply because it's just, out of all of the gifts of the Spirit, probably the one that seems the strangest is speaking in tongues. What is it? Now listen, in this church, in this church over the past month, there have been three people who have come up to me and we actually need to create a platform for this. I, if we wait to do a video, well, it'll never happen, but to give you permission to come up here and share, we need to create that space where they went into the doctor's office, they said, there's no hope, or they said, we think you have a tumor, they did an MRI, they showed the tumor, and then they went back, they did a second MRI, there's no tumor. Um, they've come up to me and shared that. I think you need to hear that, that's incredible. How many of you would say that that's a miracle? That's a miracle. There's somebody that had cancer in their intestines, and they had to remove a section of the intestine, and they said, we're not going to be able to do this without you having to have a bag on your side, an angioplasty. We're going to have to, uh, I think is what that's called. Um, you have spots on your liver and your kidneys. We don't know what to do. They went in. They did the first part of the surgery and removed the tumor. That was an obstruction. But then they said, we don't understand, but the spots on your liver and your kidneys are gone. You don't need to go through chemotherapy. We don't understand. What do we understand that as? 
miracle. Now, we're not doing it, and this isn't about a pastor coming. I didn't even lay hands on any of these people. Can you believe it? Come on up here. I got the anointing. That's the thing is, it's the gifts of the Spirit. It's not your gifts. It's God's gifts that he gives for you to simply hand to somebody. And I think in the faith movement, there is a lot of arrogance when it comes to this. But I'm not throwing out the gift just because the giver sometimes just doesn't handle it right. But what's amazing is, is that you as a church have prayed with these people and some of you. Now we also have other people who have gotten diagnosis with cancer and they've gone through the process, they've had surgery, they've had chemotherapy, and they're still standing and they say you're free and clear and we thank God for that. And then there are other people who have fought the journey and have lost that fight, like Paul Travers. And I don't understand why God heals some people and he doesn't, but nobody freaks out about healing. Um, but there are some gifts that can tend to be a little bit shocking. And so Paul says, I'm going to help you here. You see, that he says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were pursuing them. Uh, the single goal of desire and zeal for the miraculous gifts is really clear because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the gifts. Chapter 13, he talks about love. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not rude, it's not puffed up. It doesn't seek its own way. That's why it's used in marriages because marriage really requires one of the two of us sooner or later to say, I'm gonna make the move to bring us up instead of down, you know? Like anybody here, you guys wouldn't understand, you don't fight in your marriages, right? Never, yeah, no. Of course, but there comes a time where you kind of both do this, and who is the more mature of the two? The one that allows God to work through them and begins to reverse the trajectory, and, you know, we, we do a reset, but, but he says that the, the Corinthian church was just spiraling downward. They were, in fact, the Apostle Paul said that they, there were people that were sleeping with their, with their mother-in-law. There were people who were coming up to church and in the church, they had wine with the, with the bread, and they, were, they weren't just taking a sip and saying, Lord, thank you. They were getting drunk, and Paul's like, don't you have a house to go do that? Like, give me a break. What's wrong with you? Drunkenness is sin. We're, we're partaking of the Lord's body. There were people that were pigging out and, and gobbling up the food and leaving none for people who were actually start Like, they were a messed up group of people. And it's funny that the most... That, that the most messed up dysfunctional church was also the one that was operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And guess what happens when you're a dysfunctional person and God begins to move through your life? Your dysfunction mixes in with a perfect God, and sometimes you can be used by a perfect God, but he has to work through the dysfunction of who you are, and that's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians. He's working through their dysfunction. Now, I know none of you here are dysfunctional, especially your pastor, but here's what he does. This is the whole chapter. Paul goes on, and he starts chapter 14, and that's where we're going to go. If you're watching online, if you're in here, I'm going to read it in the NIV. I encourage you to read it for yourself. I encourage you to bring a Bible to church, whether it's in your phone, have a physical Bible so that you don't answer messages while you're reading the Bible at home. I really encourage that. But 
Um, I might just be dating myself from that, but here's what's gonna happen. And in chapter 14, verses one through 19, we're gonna, we're gonna cut it into three pieces and we're gonna eat it little by little. But listen to this, this is what Paul's gonna do. He's, he's gonna give us an outline. He's, in the first five verses, he's gonna say, listen, love others by desiring the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts that people can understand and not freak out and be scared by. Then he goes on, and in the second piece of the pie that we cut, gifts are meaningful when they're understandable. He's gonna say, gifts are great, but they need to be understandable. Now, he uses two gifts here, tongues and prophecy as a, as a comparison, because that's an obvious where it can be confusing. But I've watched discernment of spirits be misused where one time, I believe there is a clear difference between someone who's struggling with biochemistry, maybe uh, someone who had an accident and hit their head in a car accident and has not been the same. There's a difference between physical and biological chemistry and demonic possession. Sometimes they're synonymous, but sometimes they're not. And this person chased a woman out the church, and I'll never forget it, they chased her into a car and was screaming at her, you know, because they were convinced that she was demonically possessed, while the whole time the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, that person is not possessed. They're just misunderstanding it. That can be scary, right? How many of you have someone you know and love, I can raise my hand with this, that struggles with uh, chemistry issues, mental chemistry issues or, or impact issues, and they're not the same person. They need your protection and guarding. Imagine if they come to church to hear about God and they're chased out because they think that they have a demon and they're freaking out. This person was shaking in the car and after that person walked away, I went up to the window and I said, it's okay, it's all right. And I watched them kind of de-escalate, but he could have taken any gift. We could take any gift and do this, but Paul chooses two gifts, tongues and prophecy. And he does a spiritual comparison of the two of them. And here's the key, when they're used in a public gathering. Now, I didn't insert the book of 1 Corinthians into the Bible because I am a Pentecostal, charismatic person, and I want the gifts, and they should be removed from the Bible. I'm also not one of those people that thinks that we should take an, a razor blade to 1 Corinthians or to Acts chapter 2, cut it out and throw it away. God's put in the word what's there, so we've got to walk through it, but we want to walk through it in a way where we talk about it, where it's not insulting to you if you think differently, and it's also not robbing you from something that God has for your life. So, we're gonna need God's help here. Anybody feeling the pressure I'm under? You know what, can I just tell you something? A pastor has to come up with a commencement speech every single Sunday. I mean, any of you been to graduation, it's like I gotta come up with this great speech every week and if you get too bored, you're gonna go to another church and if you get, you know, if I'm too crazy, you're gonna like tell everybody don't go there. It's like this incredible pressure. But I want you to know that we put sometimes 20, sometimes even 30 hours on top of all the different things that we do into a message when the speakers are speaking here because we wanna make sure that you are well informed and I'm telling you, I've done my homework here, I've done my prayer work, and, but we still need God's help because there's no way I can do this. So Lord, I ask for your help to speak in all directions to the guarded, 
to those that need to be guided, to the defensive, to the offended. Help us. Help me to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. If there was a title for this message, it would simply be this. Listen, eagerly desire the miraculous gifts. Another way of saying the gifts of the Spirit. Eagerly desire those, like that 50 bucks. Uh, man, never, never give up that 50. Be faster next time. <laughs> eagerly desire this, the miraculous gifts, but do so with love and order, not self-centeredness and chaos, which is what the Corinthians were doing. And that's, that was half of their problem. So here we go. The NIV version, reading from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. <clears throat> Follow. I put the word pursue in there because that's really what it means, to chase after the 50. The, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks a, a, and then I inserted the word uninterpreted because Paul's talking in a church context. Anyone who speaks in a uninterpreted tongue does not speak to people, but God. So he, he's saying when someone's speaking in tongues, it's like a vertical prayer to God, saying help, they're, they're, they're conversing with heaven. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, with the Spirit. In other words, it's a partnership with God. Speaking in tongues is not a demonic possession thing where God takes you over and you just go, bleh, 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 bleh. you know? It's this thing where the Holy Spirit moves through you with your spirit and with God. God helps you to, to speak and pray in a different way, and so we'll get into this with understanding in a second. I, if this is new to you, just, just hang tight and tough with me. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks, anyone who speaks in a tongue without, without interpreting edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather, you have, uh, rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater. They're greater in the service, during the church service, at church. They're greater. The one who prophesies in church is greater than the one who speaks in tongues in church. And then he says this, unless, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So, look at that first spot there, follow, pursue, uh, follow the way of love. It literally means moving rapidly and decisively to find something. I've never seen you move so fast in my entire life, Mary Evelyn, that was incredible. You said, sh I said, show, you said, show me the money, I showed it, and you said, mine. Wham! You, how old are you now? Huh? 14. You, out, you beat a 14-year-old to the punch, and she's closer. She's unobstructed. You hesitated. Whatever makes you sleep at night, kid. You didn't get it. So, so literally, that's what it means. It's like V-line. And if I could just say this to you here, 
whether you're, everybody comes to this topic with their background, with the church that they grew up in, with the hurts that they may have experienced from improper uses of this, to, to, to just hear God speak through his word to you. Listen, eagerly desire the gifts, the ones that he has to offer without the taint of man on it. That's what he's saying here. But pursue them, tackle them, and do it with love, that agape love. It literally, that's the word that's there, a strong, affectionate, unconditional love for others. Any, uh, any gift not used by a life motivated by love can mean well, but yet accidentally cause damage, confusion, disorder, and even church hurt where somebody says, I'm never coming back. Now, there are some of you where I might have said that. You might be listening online, and you're like, yeah, that's right. I got hurt in church, and I'll never come back. Yeah, like your workplace didn't ever hurt you. <laughs> Seriously? That's your excuse, right? I'm out of here because somebody hurt me. <laughs> oh, oh. It happens everywhere. You're going to run away from the greatest being in all the universe who loves you, that's all-powerful, all-knowing, wants to help you, forgives you of all your wrong. You want to run away from that because somebody hurts you. It's, it's just not to be patronizing, but, but hurt's real. And you can hurt people. I know because I have. Um, when I was younger, at that time, I was, I was, we were very connected with Times Square Church, and uh, hands down, with all of my heart, I believe that Dave Wilkerson definitely was somebody that occupied the office of a prophet, and he definitely went after people that were peddling a, a prosperity gospel and a faith movement gospel that says, if you don't believe, uh, the reason you're not healed is because you've got sin in your life, the reason you're not healed because you, you don't believe God enough, and listen, if God's going to do a miracle, he's going to do a miracle, and that guy would just come after stuff, and and you see, the thing is, is that I'm not a prophet. I might be used by God time to time with the gift of prophecy, but I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor teacher. I embrace this. I have a community that God has entrusted me with where I want to see you mature and grow into the very best version of who you are with all of God's love, grace, power, and purpose in your life. We want to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference like Jacob's well or divorce care or grief share or celebrate recovery. Or a, many of you here are here today because somebody brought you because they believe that what you need in your life, that they care about you and they see something in you and they see that need and they brought you here because they believe that God can help you. He says, eagerly desire the gifts but let me ask myself an honest question in front of all of you here. Does being zealous, eager, describe me concerning the pursuit of being used by God through the gifts of the Spirit? And the answer is no, if I were to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not embarrassed to confess that because I believe there's strength and I believe that we're only as strong as we are honest. And I, I believe that that there's power in, in that. But I was evaluating myself, and I was like, man, I remember a time when I was a lot more hungry. I remember a time where I was a lot more prayerful. I remember a time where I was a lot more humble. And I was just like, God, just use me. Use me. If I go for, through life and I'm not mindful 
of the Spirit. I'm not mindful of God and not mindful that I'm here for a purpose. I'll just go through life. And it's strange hearing that from your pastor, but it's the truth. I, I can either make something happen, watch something happen, or go around my whole life asking everybody, what just happened? <laughs> what happened? I want to be the person with God that is eagerly desiring the gifts, and I believe that you're with me on that. Um, to eagerly desire the miraculous gifts, but to do so with love, order, and other people in mind. Thinking about how that can impact them. What Paul's really saying here is be sold out with a motive of love, desiring the gifts of the Spirit, including speaking in tongues, by the way. But just like Jesus predicted, the love of many grow cold, the problems of uh, today is less, I think, about misuse of the gifts of the Spirit and more about misplacing love, devotion, time, and dedication so that we're not even mindful or even pursuing them. And... uh, most of all, not pursuing an intimate relationship with Jesus that would even recognize when he might be asking us to say something to somebody on his behalf or do something or pray for someone or something on someone else's behalf. And what's interesting is this Paul is not about to just say stop speaking in tongues. In fact, he's talking about a public church service like this. What he's about to say is, is if you speak in tongues in church, Make sure that if you're doing that, that somebody interprets it. Otherwise, please don't confuse somebody. Now, stay with me because we're, we're letting Scripture speak. We're not letting preferences speak. Here, here's what he goes on. He, Paul says in chapter 14, verse 5, he says this, I wish that every one of you spoke in tongues. I wish, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. Why? Well, if you're just talking about your personal life, I'd rather you go through life and never speak in tongues. What I'd prefer is that you only prophesy. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, I wish every one of you would speak in tongues. But he's saying, if in a public church service, I would rather that you prophesy than for you to speak in tongues because it could confuse people. But then a lot of people use these chapters as if Paul's boohooing speaking in tongues. And he goes on in 14, to verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I have a pastor friend of mine that literally he will pray in the Spirit an hour and a half on top of his praying regular prayers every single Sunday for service. Every Sunday. I'm like, man, imagine that, where when we talk about that, we're talking about the Holy Spirit helping somebody pray things that that they wouldn't even know how to do. It's an amazing, beautiful thing. But Paul's saying, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm not boohooing tongues. In fact, in chapter 4, the same chapter we're in, chapter 14, verse 39, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and this, listen to this, and for, as a pastor, and do not forbid the speaking in tongues, Okay? So now he's saying, there's one for me. Let's say I'm a pastor and I'm not comfortable with it. Well, Paul is telling me, don't don't forbid it. Don't forbid it. So if you've ever been in a church service like this where the Holy Spirit begins to move and there's some person who, their heart's beating, boom, boom, 
boom. And then all of a sudden they just say, I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to take a risk. And then all of a sudden they just, they just begin to step out and they feel like God's got a word for the church and they begin to speak in tongues. And then all of a sudden the pastor goes, shut your mouth, you're out of order. Two things are going to happen. One, ain't nobody else in that room ever going to take a risk for the first time, ever. Second thing that's going to happen is that the only people that will move in the gifts of the Spirit are the people who have already been confident in that, and now you've created a celebrity, a celebrity set of people. You know what would be the most beautiful thing to me in a church church like this? Is Abby came up to me and said, Pastor Paul, I really feel like God's given me a word to say something that it has to do with what God's doing right now. I'd be able to be like, you know what, Abby? Here's the microphone, do it. And then all of a sudden she shares what she shares and then all of a sudden all of you, you MMA boxer types, your moms with your boomerang shoes that hit kids around the corner, <laughs> you incredibly tough, well-presented, well-wrapped career individuals start pouring tears down your face because God took a 14-year-old girl and spoke something so powerful it hit every walk, phase, and set of life in the room. That's beautiful. I just got lost in the idea of that. I forgot what I was preaching about. Sorry about that, Abby. <laughs> now, let me just talk with you real quick about tongues and then prophecy, and we'll continue to unpack this whole thing, but there are a couple of things here that, that are really important for us to kind of look at. So first of all, what the word tongues in Greek is glasson. Uh, the word to speak, I believe, is laleo. Help me out, Dave, am I in track? Yeah. And when you put the two together, if you've ever watched Between the Lines, glaseo, laleo, glaseo, laleo, glaseo, laleo, and they hit together, it becomes the word glossolalia to speak in tongues. Am I on target? Okay. I, gotta, I, I get the nod because he reads his Bible in Greek and Hebrew still. So um, I still have to do the work for the tools, but he's, uh, he's on, I'm on target. I'm doing good. So that's literally what it means. But what does that word mean? It literally means when you hear the word tongues, it'll help you with the freak out factor by hearing the word language. That's actually what it's used for, is to describe a language. A language, in fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13:1, Paul says it like this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what he's really saying, if I speak in languages of men and of angels, if I speak Swahili, if I speak um, uh, Telugu, if I speak, um, if I speak French, if I speak pigeon, you know, a known or a less known language. If I speak in the, not only those tongues, but it seems like there are also languages of angels here. At least if I read this at voice value, face value, he says, and I have not love, I'm a noising and a clanging symbol. And then in chapter 14, verse 10, the chapter we're in right now, he says this even, he says, there are doubtless many languages in the world and none is without meaning. Now here's where it helps. If you go to Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, where the Spirit was poured out, listen to the event and what happens. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 4, and I'm going to just read chunks of it. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, instead of tongues, I'm going to say languages, in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, but each one heard their own language, their own tongue being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them speaking in our own native tongue. Now, I don't know what gave them away as Galileans, if there was like Galilean genes, like, you know, Sergio Valente. Um, I, I don't know what gave them away. It might be the accent. I was watching the show Blue Bloods because my mom likes watching that. And all of a sudden, you see, I grew up near New York City and I also grew near Boston, so I know the accents. And so I'm listening to this old Italian guy, like this heavy-set Italian guy, and he's talking, he's like, come on, let's go out, there's karaoke, and, yeah, and I'm like, mom, that guy's got an Italian accent, and then this detective starts talking, and he's like, come on, I'm going to the car, he's talking like he's supposed to be in New York, I'm like, that's not New York, I go, that's a Southie Boston accent, how many of you got a friend for Southie, right, and you're like, I don't even think you speak English, right, but he's acting, he's acting, and he's supposed to be from New York, but I'm listening and I'm like, come on, I know that this guy is from Southie, and then I do a cast and crew of Blue Bloods, and I look up the character, and it's Mark Wahlberg's brother. You, listen, you can't get rid of that, I know every one of you is like, I don't speak with no accent, right, but you do. Some reason, they heard their accent, but the Bible says that they said, how is it then that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? And they begin a punch list of people who spoke Parthian, Mede, Elamite, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Liberia, Cyrene, uh, all of these different languages, uh, uh, and even Arabs. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own Glossolalia, they're speaking it in our own language. Per amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've just, they're just drunk, they're just drunk. When it, that word glossolalia is used, it means an actual language. And here's what the amazing thing about this is. God just, you ever got, noticed that God has a way of doing something that just humbles you, not humiliates you, but humbles you, and yet is so beautiful. When God saw man coming together for evil purposes, he confused the languages of humanity at the Tower of Babel. Now, what's interesting about this, this is ancient Near Eastern history and literature that, that I've read all kinds of different texts. Uh, you've got one called the Harmonized Tongue of Sumner, the gods, Atah, of this Atah, where all people spoke the harmonized tongue of Sumner, but the gods came down and confused their language. What's amazing is every culture in the face of the earth has a couple of things in common. They have a creation story, they have a flood story, they have a story of um, the languages of all humanity being confused. What does that tell me? The Bible made that up. No, it tells me that every culture in history acknowledges those events took place, but some were writing God out of the story while some were writing God in the story. And here's the thing. God says, when I see man, if I don't confuse them, there's nothing that I can stop them from doing. In other words, there's power in unity, even for evil. 
There's power for unity, even in evil. And so God confuses their language. But here's what's beautiful in Acts, where he is about to bring mankind back together in unity. What does he choose to do? He reverse engineers the Tower of Babel through language. That's what's going on there. The New Testament word for speaking in tongues occurs nowhere in ancient Greek literature as a technical term for divinely inspired utterances or followed by inspirational interpretations. In secular Greek literature, it simply means an unknown or a scarcely known language. The Bible uniquely owns this concept of tongues and is our only guide for understanding it for our lives. Temples of Greek gods, many of them had to connect, the, uh, people try to connect what was going on in Greek culture and church, and maybe tongues is this freaky thing, any of you have ever seen 300, you know, you know they're, they're doing all this freaky stuff, but many of them attempt to connect Greek oracles with tongues, while inspiration and ecstasy and these oracles would do all kinds of weird things and stuff, it always led to prophetic speech that people could understand. The oracles, these prophets, there's no historical record of any ecstatic speech being interpreted into understandable, translatable language. There's no comparison in Greek culture for tongues. It's literally within the Bible, and it's using the word language. So this isn't like somebody's going around going, Bob, 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 my son's first words, Bob, my uncle Bob, I can't believe it. Uh, it wasn't dad, dad, it was Bob right? Yeah, I know. I know it. I find that compelling. I find that compelling. That, and, and it's interesting because it's really scripture that holds us. Now, now st stay with me here on eagerly desiring the gifts because then Paul says, I would rather, if you're in public, to prophesy. Uh, now, when it comes to prophecy, the gift of prophecy it says in, in, uh, one, in the verse there, it says, it says this, it says that prophecy, the one who prophesies, strengthens, encourages, speaks to the strengthening, the encouragement, and the comfort of the church. Now, if you've ever been in a church service where you're there and all of a sudden you're just singing, and then for the first time you hear somebody begin to talk in tongues, like, ah! <laughs> you freak out, right? <laughs> right? And if you've never seen that before, you're really freaked out, right? But then all of a sudden, somebody in the other side of the room says, the Lord loves you, and begins to say something, and that was a tongues with an interpretation. But prophecy just jumps right in. And they say, thus says the Lord. Or um, one of the things I like to do, if I'm in a church service, sometimes I feel like God puts a word of encouragement in me for a group of people that are there because I'm praying for them. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your lives. I'm praying for your difficulties. I'm praying for your confusions. I'm praying for your, your self-control. I'm praying for hope. I'm praying for help. Sometimes God might put that in me for an individual or for a group. And if that's at a church service or whatever, I'll go up to somebody that's, that's running the show and I'll say, hey, I really feel like God put a word on my heart. And uh, in fact, Bob did this some time ago where he was like, I really feel like God put, has put a word. He came into the church office. He said, I really have this word heavy in my heart. I feel like I need to share it. And I was like, that's, that's really cool. But sometimes people just jump out 
and say it. And they're usually people who we already know, so it's not kind of like, I, I don't know who you are. You could be, you know, you could be um, shooting up and then coming into church and you're trying to blend the two lifestyles of Reese's peanut butter cup, taking the chocolate and the peanut butter. I don't know where you're at with your life. And, and so those people usually jump into it because they're known, they're, they're respected. But people sometimes, like me, I'll come up and I'll say, I really feel like I have a word here. And think about what the word, the prophetic word does. It strengthens. Literally, the word build up this oikodone, uh, that, that word Paul uses all throughout the book of Corinthians. He says, you know what your problem is? You're all puffed up. You're all about yourself. You're about showing everybody the best version of you instead of taking the attention off of you and building up the church and making everybody else the best version of them. That's really one of the core problems of the Corinthian church. I'd have fit in perfect there. I'm telling you, so messed up. God help me. But he also says that prophecy, it, it, so it speaks to building up people not only in quantity, but in quality. It improves the quality of your life. And then they encourage them. That word literally means it has a broad range of meanings, but it's very pastoral. It gives people exhortation or encouragement. Sometimes I've done all that I can, I feel inadequate, and God sends somebody my way with a word that assures me and exhorts motion that God is with me and what I'm doing is not in vain, and it, that word brings me hope. And then prophecy should also comfort. That that literally which serves as an encouragement to one who's depressed or in grief. Sometimes discouragement tries to dis disguise its voice as reality, and then God brings comfort through somebody that just says, it's going to be okay. I want to read a text I received the other day. Sorry, buddy. Dear Pastor Paul, I've been praying for you and your family nightly in intercession. You know what intercession isn't? Dear Lord, bless mom, dad, Uncle Phil. Amen. Intercession is like, God, please help them. It takes time. Listen to this. Been praying for you and your family nightly in intercession. I love you guys. And here comes the prophetic edge to what they said. And it's going to be okay. See, I'm not grieving the loss of my father. Monday, my friend begins a trial where he could potentially go to jail for 13 years for defending himself. In, in August, in the first week, my nephew goes to trial where he may find himself 15 to 20 years behind prison. My mom has been shuffled back and forth. I just, I've, when I tell you, like, I've had no extra space in my life. It's almost been a comfort that we're painting my house because I'm like, I just want to do something where it's mindless and just... And then my wife says, you're dripping paint everywhere. And I'm like, sorry, got to focus. Okay, got to focus, got to focus. And then I received that text. And guess what? The presence of God came over the text waves, Pastor Dylan, who sent it to me. And I was like, it's going to be okay. Sometimes I just need to know it's going to be okay. Imagine if you, in your heart, you're sitting there and your heart starts beating and you're like, I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, somebody, for the first time, like an Abby, dares to step out and say, I feel like God wants, there's somebody here who 
you're really worried that it's going to end bad, but God wants you to know it's going to be okay. That's the gift of prophecy. Everybody's edified by that. That's what Paul is kind of saying here. And so that the church may be edified, that's telling us exactly where these gifts are being exercised. They're being exercised in the church. These people that are giving tongues, these people giving prophecies, it's happening in the church. The problem is not with tongues per se, but uninterpreted tongues in the public assembly. Paul explains why he, preserves, he prefers prophecy over tongues. Uh, it constitutes communion with, tongues is communion with God, not communication with other people. So tongues, languages, this gift that God see, poured out in his unique way, is revelatory only if it's interpreted into understandable language. In other words, if interpreted, tongues becomes like prophecy. But if somebody just gets out there and starts shouting in tongues and shaking in tongues, Paul says, make sure that there's an interpretation. Otherwise, just know that maybe sometimes your emotions are getting the best of you, and, uh, and that's okay. Guess what? This is a pastor who wants to say this publicly. I'm not forbidding the speaking in tongues. And in fact, I understand that some of you stepping out, whether it's prophetically or praying for somebody for healing or praying for somebody uh, with a word of wisdom for their life or God just tells you something and, and says, I know that this is the situation and you get the boldness to try and step out. This pastor is not going to make you feel publicly shamed for trying. But what we will do is, is it says let the elders and let those that are mature judge what's going on and if we think that it reaches a point where it's out of order or it's problematic we might redirect you and the problem at Corinth is is that no they were saying nobody gonna tell me what to do you see the spirit of that that's puffed up that's not built up that's arrogance and that's gonna do damage to people Hear me, this prophet's not, this uh, pastor prophet, right? I've upgraded myself. I'm an apostle. <laughs> I'm a prophet. I will take the title of pastor any day. The point is not tongues from baptism in the spirit or intercession in the spirit, but tongues and prophecy within the context of the church, that the church might be edified. Uh, you know, I really think, and it sounds like I'm talking about tongues because I really am, because this is what Paul's talking about, but uh, I think it's a missed value in the church. A much more positive use of tongues continues to appear in Christians discovering a private prayer language. Testimony after testimony describes how people, uh, how the Spirit intervened to liberate somebody from a frust fr uh, someone who is frustrated or is experienced fruitlessness in their life, fruitlessness in their quiet time, lifelessness in their worship, inconsistency in their walk, and then God comes and he pours out his spirit on them and all of a sudden they just come alive. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Jude, chapter 20, or verse 20, it's only, there's only one chapter. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There's, there's something about this thing where literally when somebody's exercising that in prayer, in, in private, that, that you're building up, man. There, there's just something incredible to that. And in Romans, listen to this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, for we ought, 
as, uh, for as we ought, but, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There have been moments in my life where I am like, I do not know what to do. I do not know what to pray. There are no words in the English language that can even begin to do this. And for me, I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. And I just begin, and I don't, I don't, uh, let, let me just describe this experience for any of you who are unfamiliar with it. It's just like, all of a sudden, I just, there's this incredible gentle sense of God's presence. And as I just begin to pray, all of a sudden it keeps growing and growing and growing. And, and then all of a sudden it's like my mind is thinking about the things I'm praying about, but my, my, my mouth is, is moving, but I sense communion with God's spirit. And, and sometimes tears come down and other times hope begins to feel, fill my heart. And other times I, I get happy. And, and it, come on, you ever... <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I, all right, all right? So, like, sometimes, like, d joy hits me. Other times, anger overtakes me in a righteous way, like I'm fighting something, and I'm like, no, you can't have that person. You can't have their life. The story doesn't end this way. And, and it's like this overwhelming, incredible, beautiful experience. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. And, and this is that gift. And I mean, there's so many more to these gifts, and you should be eagerly desiring those gifts. And they, they've got tremendous value. And, and he's saying, start a pursuit, start a chase. It begins with the first step. A journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Now, you've got to understand my experience. I was raised a Catholic, thought like an atheist, and lived like a villain. I had no background just an invitation to follow Christ. I went into my pastor and I said, my mom's pastor. I said, let me talk to one of those guys. I've done the confessional booth, let me talk to this. And I said to them in simple, I said, all right, pastor, I know that this is private and between us, so you better not tell anyone. And then I begin to share all of these things that I did that were many. And the reason I was there is because I felt the, the guilty because not of the wrong that I did, but because I knew if I got arrested, I was going to jail, and if I was going in jail, and I was about Pastor Dylan's size, was, it was not going to be good for me. It was not, I, I, and so I began entertaining the idea that I would rather take the exit from life than the entrance to prison. And so I had nowhere to go, and so what do I do? I go to this pastor, and I say, all of this stuff, and he just looks at me, and he just goes, Sounds like you got a lot going on in your life. <laughs> yes, Paul, what if God could take all of that shame and that guilt away from you? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, what if God could take away that shame and that guilt? Would you want that? Yeah. You ever ask for something and you think you want it, but you don't know? And so he led me in the sinner's prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. I'm a sinner. You're a savior. You died on the cross. You did my time for me. You paid the penalty. You suffered on my behalf. And I get to receive your righteousness and forgiveness. And, and we're, we're good. And I'm going to not walk towards you in perfection. But I'm going to go in the right direction. In Jesus' name, amen. And I felt like somebody took a million pounds off of my back.
Then he said this to me. He said, Paul, you're in a very dangerous situation. You are not powerful enough to fight against this. There are threats against you. You need God's power. And he said, do you mind if I read something to you? And I said, no. By this time, I'm all in. And you know what he begins to do? He reads Acts chapter 2 that we read here in service. And he says, Paul, this is how he describes it. I, I can't describe it. Now, you've got to understand. Um, grew up a Catholic, think like an atheist, live like a villain, have no context to this. I never even heard of Acts chapter 2. And he says to me, here's, he reads it, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I want to lay my hands on you and pray for you. And I'm going to believe that God is going to fill you with his spirit. But here's what, here's what I'd like for you to do. He says, when I do that, I want you to begin in English thanking God with your mouth. Can you do that? And I was like, yeah. He goes, and here's what I want you to understand. As you begin to do that, if something all of a sudden comes out of your mouth that isn't English, I want you to think about a water faucet. You have the controls. Don't shut them off. Open them wide. And I'm like, all right, you know? And he begins to just pray a very gentle prayer. He's a very gentle pastor, and he just is like, Lord. He, he said, come on, Paul, thank him. And I just start saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you. Lord, Paul needs your spirit. He needs you. He needs more than himself facing his problems. I won't be there at every moment. His family won't be there. You, you've got to help him. And, and so we thank you. We praise you. And then all of a sudden, things began to come out of my mouth. I just don't know how to describe it. It was completely me, but it wasn't completely me. The room filled with the presence of Jesus, and the only way I can describe it is, is what happened to me five minutes earlier was like somebody took a million pounds of rocks of shame off of my back, and then the next minute, I bit into high-tension power lines that were filled with love. And I've never been the same since. It's kind of funny, most of the people in seminary and college where I go, where they struggle with this particular topic, it always has to do with their background. It's usually people that grew up around this stuff that have hurts from it, or, but I didn't have any reference to it, so like, come on, you know, like, I, I, I could have been lifting the pastor's wallet on any given day. I took a cop's wallet off of him just for the thrill. I was a good thief. Some of you are like, wait a second, I'm missing something. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Uh, I, I need somebody that speaks to, is there somebody here that is fluent in Portuguese and Spanish? Portuguese? All right, so, so come up. Yeah, Matt, uh, you know what? Um, yeah, go ahead. If, he, if he'd come up real quick. And then, is Matt in here? He's not. All right. All right, do you, do, yeah, your son's name again. Lucas, I'm sorry, Lucas. I, I, I thought that was you. Lucas, come up here real quick. You speak Portuguese, right? What? Shame on you. Matt, come on up here. All right, here he comes. Notice how athletic he is. Man of the year. All right. So let's pretend that, that 
you, all right, you only speak Portuguese. Matt speaks Portuguese and English. Now, if I went up to you, go ahead, say something in Portuguese to me, anything. I can't even say no comprende. I don't know how to say I don't understand. How do you say I don't understand in Portuguese? No entendo. No entendo. That's, that's when they call and they say the bill is due. I say no entendo. All right? No entendo to pay the bill. So, so if I try to have a conversation with her, I can't even tell her I don't understand, right? But now, if I say in English to you, please tell your mom Katia. Katia, I want you to know something. You have raised two incredible young men of God on your own. And that is not easy. Do you hear God in that? Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think that was a prophetic moment, don't you? That was a prophetic moment. I mean that with all my heart, but I, I feel that's the heart of God. Isn't that incredible? You just never know the story of what somebody's been through. But that's kind of what tongues and interpretation is. Now, if I tried to talk with Katya, we wouldn't get anywhere. And Paul's saying that's like what it is with somebody speaking in tongues in the church without somebody interpreting. There's nobody understands it, and it just seems strange. And they might be having a hallelujah breakdown, but nobody's getting edified. And Paul's not talking about saying, don't speak in tongues. Of course not. He, he was all over in those chapters saying, I speak in tongues more than you. Uh, I desire you to speak in tongues. You know what? Uh, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. But then he goes on, he says, but when you're in church, I wish that you would allow God to work through you in a powerful way. And then he goes on and he describes it. I'm going to skip through this section very, very quickly. But he gives three exa two examples. He goes with a musical instrument, and he says, if I play the instrument, if I just play it and I just pound it or I strum it, and I don't know chords, it's gonna be confusing, but I need to play it with skill. And if there is a bomb alert or a tornado alert or an alert in the ancient world for war, they would blow a trumpet and go doo -doo. Uh, Any of you have watched like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, you see the value of the horn for battle, right? And he says, what good is it if you don't blow that trumpet proper, nobody's gonna be prepared for war if you don't know what a a tornado siren sounds like, or a nuclear fallout shelter alarm, like don't even bother anyway. But like, you're not gonna understand. And likewise, if you have two people who are there and they don't understand one another, nobody's getting edified in the church. That's what he's talking about. And so then he ends this, and he says, for this reason, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that they may interpret what they say, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position as an inquirer, that means somebody visiting church, 
those of you who brought people to church saying, I believe that God has hope for you, help for you, encouragement for you, strength for you, and God is your answer. God is your answer. Jesus is your answer. The presence of his spirit in your life is your answer. How can that person say amen to your thanksgiving since you do not know what they're saying? See, people would walk into the Corinthian church and everyone would be going, and they, and they were just trying to reboot the day of Pentecost all over again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And, and, and Paul was saying, listen, that's cool, but when you do church, like you're trying to reach the world and you don't want to freak somebody out who's trying to inquire, but we also are not saying forbid the speaking in tongues, but we're saying make sure that if somebody does that, that's for the purpose of an interpretation. In fact, better yet, just jump right to prophecy, but some people have the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation, and then some people have the gift of, of the prophetic word, but how can they say amen with thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in church, I would rather you speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. It says, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. If ever in a service, at the beginning of a service, and it usually seems to happen like right when music's happening, somebody begins to blurt out something that, that is there. If, you, if you're a spirit-filled person or you're that person, Paul's saying, pray, God, give this meaning. And sometimes, like, a lot of people, we've just gone through hundreds of years in history where we thought that we could emotionally, that it was good for us to emotionally detach our experience and our heart and just look at the empirical data and facts. I'm sorry, but the kingdom of God is a relationship with the greatest person in all the universe, and your experience and your emotions and your interaction with that are part of how God's designed you. Some of your people have passion in your heart. Some of you are empathetic. When somebody shares their story, you drop tears, and you're like, I wanna, some of you are helpers, and you wanna help that person. But he says, pray that you interpret. In other words, like, you should sit there and say, God, I'm willing to take a risk. See, that's, that's the part of the gifts of the Spirit that I find is the number one inhibitor. You got gifts, you've got talents, but these aren't your gifts, they're God's gifts. And if I could just say to that moment that just happened here, I can't make somebody cry from something like that. That just came on the spot. That was the Holy Spirit. That was God speaking to a very real situation. But God just doesn't do that through pastors. He does it through people like you. And guess what? Heads up. Your life doesn't have to be perfect to be used in this way. In fact, Paul opens up the book of Corinthians and says to the saints at Corinth, they were saints with horns, man. They were, man, some of them were saints. You know, he was going after the problems. But we shouldn't let things that are imperfect keep us from connecting with a perfect God that has something beautiful. So it is, since you're eager for the gifts, I'm gonna ask Mary Eve to come on up. And I just say this, since you're eager for the gifts, she's gone, huh? Oh no, there she is. <laughs> I got another 50 on that keyboard I didn't tell you about. He says, so it is with you, since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, 
Try to excel in those that build up the church. This is a safe place. This is a safe place to learn and grow if you're willing to yield to God, if you're willing to yield to the leaders that are here. It's a safe place. It's a safe place to take a risk with your heart pounding, with your pride worrying. In fact, that's the funny thing, and I think that that's a couple of things of why the speaking in tongues is such a part of all of this is because if you're, say, I will, def I will defend and protect my dignity at all costs, you'll miss out on such a beautiful, beautiful connection with God. I'm not, I don't talk in front of people. You know what's amazing? Neither did Peter. He, was, he just wanted to crawl under a, a rock and disappear from the universe because he thought he had so much potential. And Jesus said, Satan desires to sift you as weed. He denies the Lord, but then the Spirit pours out on him. And on the day of Pentecost, who's standing up in the crowd following up with the speech? It's Peter. God takes us and gives us what he needs for the purposes he wants to accomplish for his will if we're willing to be that vessel for him. To let God use you. Maybe it might be like somebody's just saying, I, right now I've got a miracle and a verse between my two friends, my nephew and my friend Will. I believe with all of, Will's situation is a little straightforward. He's a person of post-traumatic stress. Somebody came up behind him and he's probably the most physically powerful person I've ever met in my life. He snapped into combat mode and there was a weightlifter and another guy and literally from the sitting on his motorcycle, he took them both out in a matter of moments just because they came up and put their hands on him screaming. And so he's facing charges of like, you know, malicious intent. The battery is when you put your hand on somebody. Assault is when somebody responds to that and hits you and he just reacted. And if you knew Will's upbringing and the fights that he had been in, you'd understand why. You'd be sympathetic to him. My nephew is facing charges. I believe with all of my heart he's innocent of. I've read all of the documents. I've seen all of the interviews. And in the midst of all of this, it all comes down to a jury. And the Holy Spirit put a word in my heart for both of them, but one particular, especially for Will. And it was this. It was in Acts chapter, four, or it was in uh, Exodus chapter 14, where God is bringing the children to Israel, and he says, you're going to get, I'm going to deliver you once and all from the Egyptians. This enemy that you see, you will see no more. In other words, when you cross over through this water that I'm going to part in a miracle, when you walk through there and you turn to look over your shoulder, never again will you see the Egyptian army. And if you've read the book of Exodus or you've watched the Prince of Egypt or you've watched the Ten Commandments with Yul Brenner, you'll know that the ocean covers over that enemy. He covers over a dysfunctional home, a strained marriage, a compulsive addiction, a confused mind, a broken confidence, a fear of intimacy. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but I turned to my friend Will and I said this, I said, Will, I said, I believe with all of my heart, and I've said this to him three times, I said, the enemy that you see 
that is just coming after your life, telling you that you'll be in prison, that this coming week you are going to go to that court and you are going to come out the other side a free man and the enemy that you see that says that he's going to destroy your life, they've dragged this out over four years just to torture him. So this enemy that you see, you'll never see him again. I'm on the line now in public with this, right? And I said to my nephew this, Job, who suffered. The first, all you have to do is read the first three chapters and the last two. Man, suffered. Everything in between are three, four well-intending friends who open up their mouth. If somebody's suffering, just, just sit with them. And he's, he's health, he loses his children, he loses his business, he loses his bank accounts, he loses everything. Everything that you have, that you've worked for, could be gone in a moment. And in Job it happened. And it wasn't because he sinned, and it wasn't because he didn't have enough faith or anything like that, but hell was saying he only worships you to heaven. He only worships you because of the good you do for him, but do him wrong, and he will curse you to your face. And God puts Job in a, a meat grinder of a difficulty, and he comes out the other side, and the, the chapter at the end reads like this. And the latter part of Job's life was blessed more than the former. And I said to my nephew, I said, the story does not end here. The latter half of your life will be blessed more than the former. Now, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're up against, but I do know this. Like my pastor, you don't have what it takes. You need the Spirit of God. And in fact, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says it like this. Be filled with the Spirit, but it's written in such a way that it's continual. Be continually filled and refilled and filled again and refilled again. And while God is saying, and while Pastor Paul is saying, eagerly desire 50 bucks, God is holding out the gifts of the Spirit to the church, and everyone's running away from them. Everybody's afraid of them. You know what? The Spirit-filled Pentecostal charismatic movement is known for emphasizing the value of tongues, but we're also known for the abuse of it. While the evangelical movement is known for emphasizing a value of the Bible, but they do so sometimes at the expense of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled churches are moving away from speaking about the Holy Spirit and His gifts. We're moving towards it. And the churches that are out there non-charismatic churches are moving away from solid biblical teaching to enter entertainment-style orientations of worship. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with creativity, but man, there, there's also nothing right with boredom. We need God's Spirit. So here's what I'd like to do. I don't have any kneelers for you. Stop hurting that child. <laughs> I don't have any word for you. I don't have any kneelers. There's a whole front row right up there. All you'd have to do is put on your knees and lean right into a chair. This whole room could become an altar, but I believe with all of my heart, God wants to move in your life again. And some of you are like, thank the Lord. And some of you have never even experienced this. And I don't think it's encapsulated in a moment. I think this is one of the things of the directions God's going to begin to move in us 
but it's going to be in order. It's going to not freak people out. In fact, the Apostle Paul says if someone walks in the church and everyone's speaking in tongues, they'll say, you're all crazy. But he says if you walk in and someone is prophesying and they lay the secrets of their heart bare, they'll say, truly, God is among you. The greatest example I saw of that was at Times Square Church. Pastor Dave walked up to the microphone and he said this, there's someone here and you brought a revolver and you tend to do harm to one of the pastors, but God brought you here so that he could save your life and change you. And a man stood up in the congregation weeping, holding up a revolver with his fingers and they prayed for them and they, they, they touched him. We need the gifts of God's spirit. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be afraid of. I don't know what to do at this moment other than to just hand it back to you. If, I know that it's late, but if we could take, it's not the quantity, but the quality of the time. As the worship team sings, could we take just three minutes, do some self-assessment, evaluate, are we eagerly desiring? Are we open? Have we allowed our traditions or our hurt to close us off to things? Are there things in our life that needs to change that are hindering the Spirit of God? And just give God an invitation again to say, Lord, move in your church again, move in my life again. Thank you for being with us today. Be sure to listen to all our messages on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And follow us on ne-cc.org for all information and updates. Thank you, God bless, have a great day.